0: Remember how we were talking about with the medical industry how the you know under 18 so the minor uh, trans post ops how that much money that would end up making for the medical community mm-hmm. and how we couldn't believe for one moment that that didn't you know sway why they were trying to make you know minor assisted uh transition surgery absolutely a a thing and necessity and fighting for the quote-unquote rights of it Mm -hmm. that it was what did we say it was it was 6.1 trillion dollars some ridiculous number like that right yeah it was absolutely high well so you know we've talked about before how marketers are and marketers are horrible people I know I'm one of them (laughs) right (laughs) and but that marketers twist the truth and marketers twist the truth in, in a way that benefits their clients you'd actually were reading something on that earlier today with somebody that was one of our national days and then just found some twisted stuff behind the why this was a national day right yeah. so it was like and that was hilarious Well, so the independent US Pre- preventive uh, services task force decided a couple of days ago that they recommend now that women should receive their mammograms um, every every year Basically, or every other year, but you only do it every year just to be safe, Um, starting at the age of 40, where it used to be at the age of 50. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you go and you read on on guidelines and numbers that are pulled up from the CDC for basic information from the CDC says one in eight women in the United States will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. And I'm like, whoa, that's insane. Right. Mm -hmm. Well. No and Yes. So, first off, there are let me let me pull up all my proper numbers here. There are 167,500,000 women in the United States. Okay. Okay. So, it's like, okay, that's 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 a that's a good number. Now, I went to look it up, insured or uninsured, the average cost for a mammogram, right? Mm is just i mean it's not expensive not it's a 100 bucks okay Okay. so it's like okay that's cool and it's like but wait a second so that equates to 1.67 billion dollars a year now extra money that's coming in medically and you know times 10 years You know that's sixteen point seven billion dollars extra that comes in, but I mean it makes sense because hey, one in eight women, right? That Mm -hmm. that's kind of scary, except math isn't mathing very well for me because in the United States, just in the United States, okay, two hundred sixty four thousand breast cases of breast cancer um, are diagnosed in women. and about twenty four hundred in men. Every year. Okay, but but wait, there's a hundred sixty seven thousand five hundred women. In the U S. Right. That's not fifteen percent.
1: Hundred sixty
0: seven million five hundred thousand women in the U S. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That number doesn't make sense, because. When you do the numbers and you do the math, do you know what that is? Hmm. Point zero one five or one six, if you want to round it up, percent of women.
1: But so wait, so that's, <laughs> that are diagnosed each year, though,
0: of the female population in the United States, two hundred sixty-four thousand women are diagnosed with breast cancer. Every year.
1: So new cases. Yes. So there's still so much more math that has to be done for the total amount of women in all of that. Right.
0: So when but when you do those numbers, they don't scale right. It doesn't ever get up to for one half or I'm sorry for one tenth of one percent to get up to 15 percent, which would be one in eight. Every single woman in the U.S. has to live to, you know, 80 years old. Every single one has to live to 80 years old. And then what that means is that numbers don't work because we're just talking about women who are 40 plus. So the numbers don't make sense either. None of the numbers to this make sense. And so it's this very confusing rabbit hole of stuff that I have to look at. And look at the numbers for it, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So 25% of the female population is over the age of 40. Which is a hard number for me to understand too, right? Mm-hmm. One in four women is over the age of 40. Okay. So even when I take away 75% of that number, does 0.15% add up to 15%? I don't know.
1: There's okay. too many it, numbers involved. Yeah, there. Well, And,
0: and, and this, that's my point, right? Like, it gets confusing for me as a demographic and research marketer, right? I work with numbers. And it's like, yeah, you can get close to your numbers depending on how you put your stats up. But what they're not saying is they don't say 1 in 8 women over the age of 40, right? Uh-huh. They just say 1 in 8 women in their lifetime will be diagnosed with breast cancer. But... That doesn't say confirmed. And you know why that's important? Mm. Because if you actually go and, and you can look it up, it's uh, from, I believe, the Kisling Institute. Um, says that misdiagnosis for lung cancer, specifically, um, are misdiagnosed around 22.5%. Regular cancer is misdiagnosed around 11%. So... You know, I want to know with breast cancer and I went and I looked it up, couldn't find it, but the closest I could find literally was the Journal journal uh, the journal of American Medical Association misdiagnosed, uh, according to, sorry, the Journal of American Medicine, um, the misdiagnosis is again around 10 to 20%. So one in five of those, that one in eight are misdiagnosed with breast cancer. And then when I put all of those numbers together for the things that make sense, guess what number I come up with? Mm. My 0.16%. So how much of that is fear mongering? It it literally, what it sounds like to me, I'm sorry, it's what it looks like to me as a marketer. And maybe I'm just cynical, but what I see is they say, okay, we need to make more money. Because it's the medical industry, pharmaceutical industry. So what do we want? We want women to give us $100 a year for the next 10 years, but 10 years earlier. Okay. And we're telling them that one in eight women are diagnosed with cancer. Okay. What we're not saying is one in eight women over the age of 50 have been diagnosed with cancer of those 10 to 20% because we can't get an exact number are misdiagnosed so one or two of those eight are misdiagnosed so the number can be very far off and we're going to fear you until then because what is something you're taught as a young girl what's the most dangerous cancer that a woman can get is you know breast
1: cancer oh
0: gosh yeah we literally right ribbons 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 everywhere mm-hmm. and i'm just looking at it and i'm going you know these are the same, this is the same fear that they have with us on, you know, do you have earthquake insurance, but we don't live in an earthquake zone, but you know, you might want to have it anyways, cause you know, what happens if an earthquake happens, your insurance doesn't cover it. It's the same level of fear mongering or people out here who like people out here, they're like, Oh, we get tornado insurance. Okay, well that's great. And you know what? Once every hundred to hundred and fifty years, you know, tornadoes come through this area. But I want to point out how old is our house? One
1: hundred and twenty.
0: Yeah. One hundred and twenty years old. So if we spent just just say a thousand dollars a year extra just to have our tornado insurance, you know, and that money was compounded in interest and everything else. You know how much money this house has been paid for overly In just insurance costs. Too much. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying this because I don't want people to get screened. I want people to get screened. But at the same time, the fear mongering and marketing is just twisting numbers all over the place. And when people buy this stuff and they get upset, you know, anybody listening to this that's getting upset about it, I just want them to think about the fact that, congratulations, you've emotionally been manipulated and marketed to. And for that one in 200 who actually have had somebody who have died because of breast cancer. You know, just just keep that in mind. That that's what you're upset about because that's what they're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Marketers manipulate, marketers manipulate your emotions. They manipulate your thoughts, they manipulate numbers. Because if I sat there and told you, "Hey, you know what? You should go ahead and get a, bre- a mammogram every year because one in 8 women develop breast cancer then you're gonna do it right
1: probably okay i
0: I bet i could get you to do it at 20 i you just give you the scary numbers of this but if i sat there and said hey i want you to spend a thousand dollars for something that you're gonna have to do over the next 10 for something to do over the next 10 years because you have a point zero or i'm sorry a point one six percent chance of something bad happening to you would you do it no. Oh, okay. Yeah, manipulation sucks. I hate manipulators, and I hate everything manipulative. With that, good afternoon, and welcome to the Afternoon Dive on the Stupid Podcast on Everything, where I'm Joey. And I'm
1: Kiki. And we talk about everything. And nothing. All
0: at the same time, by two people who are just trying to make numbers make sense. So, today is Wednesday, it is May 10th, and we talk about what today?
1: Uh, well, we. Normally talk about economics, but we're not. That's
0: right. Um, <laughs> Why? Because it wouldn't be a stupid podcast on everything if we didn't talk about
1: everything. There you go. So uh, we last week we talked about what would happen if we if the government defaulted, mm-hmm. and uh, it's you know we we had a conversation with the family about it and talking about what we would do in case of something like that happening because you said that we would find out immediately and that, you know, for people that are online constantly and for you that's always looking out for things like that mm-hmm. that we would find out immediately. And so we kind of sat there and not like set in stone, went over what we would do, but kind of like, you know, this is the general idea of what you would be responsible for as your single family member and as the family. And uh, we talked about basically it what uh would happen in a you know a scale of like it how long it would really like what what time frame you'd be looking at before things would go back to normal mm-hmm. and so if you want to go over that real quick
0: well here here it is so if everything Now, I want to I want to point this out. There is a ninety nine percent chance that they're going to just raise the debt ceiling like they do every year. And they're just going to get closer to it like they do every year. So I just I want to point this out that we're talking about a one percent chance. Right. And as I was just talking about in our intro, you know, one percent is one percent. But when I'm looking at where we're at and I'm looking at what our economy is doing, I just want to explain that even if they raise the debt ceiling, that doesn't stop inflation. Okay, the chances that we're going to keep having inflation to a point of of unsustainability is actually closer to 70 to 90%. So those numbers are huge. And so, in that, when you look at things, you look at the Great Depression, you look at World War II, you look at the economic cost of the cycles that we've gone to, and it takes approximately seven years to get back to good. Okay? So We're talking about because we're not looking at a recession. We're in a recession. We are feeling the effects of a recession right now. You cannot find a grocery store, a liquor store, a bait shop that are fully stocked on what they need and what they what they offer. Right. Mm -hmm. Not a single one. You and I, we went uh, we went to Jacksonville Lake or Lake Jacksonville last weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. We went to the, the little gas station that was there how many things did they have missing how many things did they not even have price tags on Close and how many things everything. yeah and and they were just trying to put everything together they weren't not putting the price tags on it cuz it was some kind of little scammy thing it was literally they were trying to get this stuff in and trying to keep this stuff and it was just ridiculous to look at how many spaces they had for things that were blank and how many things were one deep or two deep in an item right yeah. if you like you got i think you grab pringles right and uh- yeah, yeah. You got the Pringles, and behind your little short stack of Pringles was one more, and after that, it's gone, right? Mm-hmm. And those guys have nothing in their back room. Those guys don't even—they didn't even have the food—the food to be able to keep the hot side of their their place even open. When I asked them, they're like, "Yeah, our delivery truck just hasn't come late," like, and they said it was so matter-of-factly because they're just used to it. How many times we went to get dog food, right—the mm-hmm. special kind of dog food that we get two weeks ago? We went to um, Iron Gate. Uh, feed out here in Palestine When I told him he's like yep truck didn't come again like it was a normal thing right mm-hmm. Yep, my truck just doesn't show up and, and you go to restaurants and they talk about this and how many times have we gone to restaurants and they're like hey we're out of this just so you know we don't have this or we don't have that or they're either out of something or they're short on something right I have one order of french fries left I remember that one I was like what how do you have one order of fries left mm-hmm. so because everybody's hurting and it's like so The odds of that coming are, again, between 70 and 90%, depending on which stats you're looking up. So, And then to know that it's going to take seven years to get back to good means that right now we should be looking at a seven-year surplus. We are definitely not looking at having seven years of surplus in what we have. And so when we sit there and say, okay, well, if we say 75%, okay, then we just need to cut back on... What we're doing in quote unquote luxury spending, impulse spending, um, you know, the things that are the extras. Like when Father's Day comes up and my birthday comes up, I'm going to be like, "Mm, you want to know what I want? Let's just go fishing. You know, that's it. I'm like, we just we got to reduce what we're doing. We're not reducing our footprint because environmental, you know, we're reducing our footprint because it makes better sense to reduce our footprint. So those are the things that we have to look at. So we don't have much, much longer before it gets unsustainable. Ask yourself this. Could you afford twice what you're paying right now for your groceries? And still buy all the groceries that you're getting right now. We're already paying 30 to 50 percent over what we were paying two years ago. So could you afford an additional doubling on that number? And most people's answers are going to be no. Mm-hmm. Most people are not going to spend 30 to $35 a pound for a ribeye steak. You know, right now, try to find non-slurried ground beef for under $4 a pound. Right? Mm-hmm. just doesn't happen. And slurried, we can talk about that another time, but those big tubes of beef that you're getting, <laughs> those are literally never cook those medium rare that's all i want to say those are those are the 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 revolver of you know food poisoning that i've you know we talk about here with cross contamination all the time because that is always meat from dozens if not hundreds of animals squished up into a tube so you know just kind of scary to think about how you're popping up those numbers every single time you buy one of those tubes of beef so yeah, so we're talking about we need to have a lifestyle change and we started 3 years ago and you know, we definitely want to help people in, to get much further on that than than even where we're at right now. We're not perfect, mm. but I mean, look at our kitchen. How much waste do we have coming out of our kitchen percentage-wise compared to what we used to have?
1: <laughs> I don't know, it's literally only ever like actual trash trash like if we open something with plastic around it kind of thing.
0: Yeah, we 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 used to have to empty that trash can twice or three times a day. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's eight people. That's a lot of people and trash cans not that huge. So so, yeah, we used to have to empty it two, three times a day. Now, what do we empty it once every other day? Yeah. So, you know, pretty good. But we want to help out and and tell you some of the things that we're doing, some of the things that you can do. So go ahead.
1: (laughs) Wow. I the biggest thing that's the biggest thing when it comes to doomsday prepping is that there's always two kinds of people or the people that look at it as or we'll say three kinds of people the people that look at it as like the word of God there's you can't do absolutely anything else but constantly consistently every day all day prep for doomsday and be all psychotic about it and be super super into conspiracy theories and just sound like a maniac to anybody that you try to you know talk to about Mm -hmm. it the people that absolutely 100% dismiss it and say that you're stupid and you know the government's never gonna let that happen and blah 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 and then you have the people that you know are stuck in the middle where they're like I want to do this but I don't want to seem like that but it is still something that's important to have because you never know what's going to happen you never know when something can go wrong and Mm -hmm. it's always good to be prepared for it because you literally never know. So we are in the middle of that where it's like, we we're trying and we're, we're doing a lot differently, but there are still some general, uh, sane prepper rules that, you know, you have to kind of know before you get started on anything like this. Um, because we've you know we we went a little crazy the very first bit <laughs> when we were mm-hmm. starting all of this and we have since scaled back and started to do it in a smarter way and it's working out a lot better so one of the big things is don't ever buy off-the-shelf kits because they're oh, yeah. not worth it. They're going to be either way more expensive or they're not going to have any of the things that you actually would need in case of an emergency. But to somebody that's just getting started can look at what's in it and go, oh my gosh, those are all really important things. But, you know, they, they most likely aren't. Um, you can't predict when emer- an emergency is going to happen. So you just it, – it's good prep is – is good to have it's smart prep is good to have Mm -hmm. um you have to be diligent about finding and avoiding assumptions in your preps because there are a lot of misconceptions out there and a lot of people that will tell you all the things and it's the same thing for everything that we're going to tell you because you have to do what works for your family you cannot take everything that we do and have it work 100% for your family, mm-hmm. especially if you have special needs in your family that we don't have. And we're going to have special needs in our family that you're not going to have. Absolutely. So compile and do research. This is where people can get stuck going down a rabbit hole. Stay realistic and be practical about it. Don't, you know, sit there and, you know, go off on, you know, zombie fantasies and things like that about all things like that that could happen. You'd have to focus on the things that actually matter. And remember in all of it that, like, the simpler that it is, the better it actually is. Uh, yeah. And it can be a lot. So don't let it overwhelm you or defeat you. Um, It's important to enjoy life still and not go down just a horrible dark spiral of doomsday depression because it's just not worth it. And don't go blowing your life savings on supplies and things. You can prepare without giving up. um, Just like how buying health insurance doesn't mean you're giving up on your health. Like that's literally right. You can prepping isn't going up. Well, it's the end of the world. I'm giving up on everything. This is everything I'm going to need for the rest of my life. And then that's it. Like you have to. You have to be able to look at it as, this is if I need it. Not as a, if I, you know, don't have this, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to die. Like, that's not how it works. Um, ignore noise and extremism. Please ignore the extremism that tries to take over prepping. Um, because that's what, literally, that's just, that's what everybody that doesn't want you to be prepared is going to tell you. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell you, ah, oh, well, if you're, you know, if you're a prepper, shh. Man, you know those people are crazy, and da da da. And they'll give you random things that aren't even true, realistic statistics, just to try to turn you away from it. Um, and then, literally, <laughs> there are a lot of you know blogs, forums, Facebook groups that are just absolutely have dedication to making sure that people like that feel bad. Mm-hmm. And you will find out really fast. The people that you're around if they are going to agree with you on things like that if they're not it's a lot easier to do this if you're around people that agree with you if they're not there for it and they continue to give you shit for it then they're not good friends because you're doing this for you and your family you're literally providing for your family it's just another step to that and if they don't understand that then they're just they're literally not worth it um avoid double dipping we're guilty of this (laughs) avoid double dipping your gear it is super super tempting to pick stuff out of your bug out bags or things for like camping trips Mm -hmm. um but so life can get in the way gear can get scattered and it just creates windows where an emergency if an emergency happens, you're not prepared because they're in 17 different areas because you took it out, you know, this here and this there and Mm we're moving this around because you were needing this for this time and we're guilty of that, 100%. Oh, yeah. We have literally gotten a stockpile specifically of emergency medical supplies and when we talked about, you know, finding things like Neosporin and all that in Lily's room because she just was taking it, we had five, six tubes of Benadryl itch-stopping cream for, you know, when we go hiking, camping, any of that for specifically for foraging for food and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, half of it's gone now because she just used it. And it's the same thing for us where we've gone, Hey, you know, can't go to the store right now at this very moment. Oh, just go grab this from our storage. And then we have to replace it. But if we forget, then it's not there. And so it's like, I understand, you know, if you are going to pull something out for something else, then you have to replace it with a new one, unused one, you know, and keep it and try really hard to keep lists of things so that you know what is and isn't there. So that if you do take something out, you put a reminder in your phone that you have to replace it because it just, yeah, if, if an emergency happens, you won't be prepared because you took it out. Um, it's a lot better because this is where, you know, people sit there Well, it's, you know, hard and it's impossible to prep and do all this stuff without money. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. if you're on a budget, it's better to buy fewer high quality things than cheap things that will fail you when you need them because you can prep without a lot of money but it looks more like diy and secondhand type purchases it's 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 better to have something like that that looks raggedy and and janky than to just go get stuff from the dollar store because it's really just not gonna be worth it and don't buy like, don't just get stuff and, like, throw it in a closet and be like, yeah, look at me. I did it. You're, you're literally not prepared unless you mm-hmm. have practice. You go through and walk through plans and you know where your supplies are and they're organized and labeled because you don't have to go crazy on it. And I'm not saying, like, labeled, like, everything. You got go buy a label maker and put things on all these boxes, put them all in these big, huge tubs and, you know, organize them somewhere. We have stuff in several places in the house. But we know where those places are and we know how to get to those things and we know which things have which, you know, items in them mm-hmm. because that's that's the important part. I can't, you know, have some crazy tornado happen, have half the house fall down, be able to drag somebody out of it and then not be able to find any of my emergency medical supplies because, you know, somebody took it or it was put over here. or Oh, hey, yeah, we took it camping. So now it's, you know, over here. Or, oh, hey, we brought it on the boat. So the first aid kit's actually over there. You got to go outside and go. That's you have to think of things like that. So, and don't, don't ever sit there and think that if something were to go wrong, your plan is just, oh man, my plan is to just get out of here. or My plan is to just shelter in place at home. Emergencies don't care mm-hmm. about your plans. <laughs> you can have several plans that A, B, C, D, E, F level of several plans, but the point is that if something goes wrong, you have to be able to have quick thinking. Yep. You have to sit down. And you have to genuinely think and have conversations with the family where somebody can bring up something that could be a contingency so that you think about it. That's why it's better to have conversations instead of just, you know, oh, man, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is how it's going to work. This is what everybody's going to do. And that's it because it's not it. The moment you make a plan about it, something else that's completely unpredictable is going to happen. That's always how it works. It happens on regular, everyday things, so don't think that emergencies are going to be any different. We can't all just sit here and go, ah, well, if a tornado comes down, then we're going to drive in the opposite direction. Everybody's got to get out in, you know, two minutes, and then we'll be good. That's not how it works. We have no idea what roadways are going to be blocked. We have no idea where we can go and how to get there quickly and efficiently without, you know, you can't account for mass panic of people or no people or, you know, dead things and people trying to, oh, help me. help Like, you can't account for every little thing that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You cannot predict it. (laughs) So you have to. Be able to be fluid and have a quick thinking mind in case of an emergency, not just go into it going, yep, nope, this is the plan and that's it. So those are like general over generalizations of when you're starting. These are things to think about.
0: Yeah. And and I, w- I will say this is the person that, you know, is always looking at the logistics sides of things. Figure out where you're going to go. Are you going to stay put? How long are you going to stay put? And If you have to go, how are you going to go and where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. Do you have a huge lake and a nice boat that your entire family can live on if you need to? Where your fresh water and your food sources, you know, potential food sources are all right there for you. Do you have the ability in your own house to be able to, you know, store up water? Days of water, right? Like weeks of water. What do you have? What, you know, it's like the song that, that you know, everybody listen to from uh, Stranger Things. Should I say or should I go now? Right? It's like, which one is the best one to do? And wh- when is what? Like us, you know, when we have really bad weather, that's when I look at, okay. You know, I need to make the plans. Which way am I driving? Which way is the wind going? Which way is the weather coming from? Where am I going to go? I know where I'm going to go. If I have to go three hours in any direction, I know whether or not I can say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to connect the boat and we're going to take the boat out." Why? Because if I need to, the five six of us right now that are here, um, we can sleep on the boat. You know, it's like I I literally have done the math on it. I'm like, number one, we don't get skunked. <laughs> We're pretty my my daughters think it's fun. Everybody's, you know, hey, learning fishing is fun, but it's a survival skill. You know, I would argue that fishermen have a better chance of survival than hunters, right? Because we catch fish every day. You know, if you're in fresh water, you have a water source every day if you have the proper filtration, right? Mm-hmm. You have you know, a shoreline, you have literally places you can use the bathroom, you can change, you can bathe. L- water is like so important to everything that you do. But I'm like, OK, if a tornado hits, what do I do tomorrow type situation? Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, OK, I, you know, and we, we always plan for those things. We always think of those things. But some of the fun little mundane things like we talk about what we grab when we leave. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I look at is I started a worm farm. And how many times, four or five times we tried to start a worm farm, right? And we finally have a worm farm that's producing worms and actually needs to be split again. So we have bins and bins of worms. Those are coming with me, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Because in a pinch, and I hate to say this, but in a pinch you can eat them. But otherwise you use them as bait to get something bigger. And it's like, and there's many things that will eat worms given the opportunities, whether it's birds, fish, you know, there's a ton of ground animals. So, you know, just for us, it's, it's everything that we can do now. And it's almost become, I want to say it's become a game, but a fun game. Like you have been going to the store and you guys know now the best time to go to the different stores for clearance stuff and get bulk of food. You guys came up to me with, what was it? Six bags of food. Yeah. For like less than 30 bucks where we're used to going to the store and spending like a hundred dollars a day when we go there. And that's just we were just we didn't know what to do for dinner that night type situation. Right. It's mm-hmm. like the dynamic of all of it has changed and it's just it's incredible and it's amazing to do. So just the lifestyle change.
1: <laughs> so. Uh, so if you're, you're just getting started and, you know, all of that is overwhelming to think about um start start simple it's sitting down genuinely with as cheesy as it sounds with you know your laptop and you know a google doc pulled up or you know a notebook and pencils and writing down what you can do at the moment figuring out what out of all the people in your house who has what skills and Mm -hmm. go basically just going from there Obviously, you have to sit there with the basics. If everything collapsed tomorrow and there was nothing anywhere that anybody could do, how long would you be able to survive? What would you have to do to survive? Because most people aren't going to have a a largely stocked fridge and pantry and, you know, sitting there ready to go. The majority of the population doesn't live on farmland. If you're in a city, it's a lot harder to learn how to survive that long than it is for people like us that live out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of mm-hmm. a forest, and there's a lot of other things that will eat us, and just because we collapse doesn't mean that the rest of them are you know, out there going, oh man, my bad. You know, The bears don't stop being bears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of the other animals out there, aren't, they don't have any idea what's going on. So you have to think not only about what you would do, what you would like to do, You have to think about what everybody else is going to do, because if mass panic breaks out, you don't want to go to a store. Mm -mm. You're not going to, which is the biggest reason why you want to be prepared. The biggest thing that like we've that we have down that's like it's kind of annoying trying to deal with them, but it is extremely smart is we have so many canning jars yep so many and they're not being utilized for canning right now we just have them because none of us have learned and sat down and gotten gone through everything on how to can yet and I've you know keep trying to work myself up to doing it because I'm just I'm scared of botulism and it's very terrifying and very intimidating for people that are just getting into any level of like homesteading skills but that's like the biggest one that I'm terrified of and The solution to that for me is the freeze-drying side of it, but I can't freeze-dry everything. I mean, I can, but it doesn't mean it's going to reconstitute, right? And that's the problem, is that I have to look at foods and the things that I have in the garden and be able to bulk harvest, freeze-dry, and then put them in cans or mylar bags that are, you know, vacuum-sealed, which is not hard for us because we have a vacuum sealer. But it's like things like that, we're lucky to have things like that. So... When it comes to long-term things, it's an investment, but for sitting down and getting started, the easiest thing in an overly generalized way of telling you is learn homesteading and life-related skills. Mm -hmm. If you know how to start a fire, oh my God, you can cook. Power goes out tomorrow, you have no gas, you can cook. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have to have anything else. If you have the normal pots and pans in your house, you can figure out some jerry-rig way of putting a pot or a pan over a fire, then you are perfectly fine with cooking still. Yep. If you have any level, and you have to think about that, because then it's like, oh, well, you don't know the temperature that you're doing anything. So have a temperature thermometer around for all of the meats and things so that you know you're cooking everything to temp. Yep. It's one of the things that is like been bugging me is that I 100% want to learn how to cook food over an open fire. Like I, it bugs me so much that we haven't tried that because it's something I would love to learn how to do. And it's the only thing that keeps me coming back to wanting a cast iron skillet because we keep going, oh, we don't have anywhere to use one. It's like, yeah, we do. I want to learn how to use one on open fire. If we go camping again, that's what I want to do. I want to cook on a fire. First of all, it tastes really amazing. <laughs> Anybody that's mm-hmm. had smoked brisket knows that, that if you cook anything on a fire, you know it's going to taste a lot better because that smoky flavor is going to be there. But, you know, it's just like things like that. Make it fun. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to learn how to do, not just because, oh, man, in case the world ends, you know, I should know this, but because it's genuinely something that's so cool and it makes food taste different. So I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn the right temperatures, how far away from the flames I have to have things so that they cook right without overcooking on the outside by being underdone on the inside. Like, I want to learn how to do that. Because at the end of the day, I can – we have chickens. So if I mess something up, I can just give it to the chickens or put it in the compost pile. Uh So it's like I I have the ability to do that. So – homesteading and life skills are are the the easiest way to start. What do you know how to do? What should you learn how to do? And then while you're going through that, figure out of all the things you know how to do, if you have the materials to be able to do that. If you know how to sew, but you don't have a sewing kit, well, then obviously your ability to know how to sew is useless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, look at things like that. This is the easiest way to start by just going over what you already know how to do. And then- creating and making sure you have the ability to utilize those skills start there if you know how to sew if you know how to cook if you know how to bake if you are great with sourdough and you have a sourdough starter or you want to start one and you already know how to start one, you have a friend that's got some that's willing to share some with you so you can keep yours going all of that and you know how to do all those things start there if you need needed to tomorrow absolutely cook everything from scratch and you already are a great cook or baker do you have all the things you need to be able to do that start there that is the easiest way to get into it while doing utilizing things you already know how to do so you're not going to be overwhelmed mm-hmm. right off the bat because i can look at well yeah i would love to learn how to mend clothes and sew and everything but we don't have any of the we don't have the ability to do that at all so that can get overwhelming really fast i look at all of the you know basic sewing knowledge kinds of papers and and websites and it's like i don't understand at all what i'm reading but it's not like i can sit there and learn it because we don't have mm-hmm. any of stuff to learn it so it's like start with what you know I am good at baking and I'm good at learning how to bake. I've gotten to the point now where I can make the banana bread that I make without a recipe a hundred percent. And is, I can eyeball it and still get it a hundred percent. It's gotten to the point where the bread recipe is almost a hundred percent from memory now. Nice. And it's the easiest, best bread recipe because everything else I look at, is like, oh yeah, poor man's bread and everything like that. It's like the only thing that I can take out of my bread recipe that would make it cheaper is the amount of butter in it. But everything mm-hmm. else we have it on hand and I can make it if you know again the world ended tomorrow I can make that bread from scratch without a recipe so that's that's what I know how to do and I want to take it a step further and you know move towards sourdough and I already started and you know failed at my first sourdough but it's now warmer and I've been trying to figure out when I want to start it back up again and where in my routine would be smarter for you know taking care of it and I've found that because I'm getting up in the mornings, it's probably going to be a lot easier for me to get up and have that be a part of my morning routine is feeding the sourdough starter. And the biggest problem with me for the last time is that I never learned what you're supposed to do after you have a successful sourdough starter. It's like, Hey, cool. I made one. Now what, when is the point that I put it in the fridge? When's the point that I use it? How do I know that it's ready to be used? I didn't do that much. So I have to start over and it's not that big of a deal because it's not like I'm going through so much, so much, so much stuff Mm -hmm. to utilize it. So it's like, I, I'm learning that next step, so I'm not overwhelmed with it because it was the only next step that I learned. So take what you know and start there. Now, if you want some ideas on some other things that are really easy to start doing, I'm going to start going over some. You, you know, mentioned that we have almost a zero-waste kitchen. Yeah, We're awesome. literally only throwing away things that can't be utilized anywhere else. We have... Um, if we have spoiled meat then it goes in the trash like composting is is super easy to start if you have a small space and you know scrap wood you can start a compost pile that can be contained and nice and easy and simple if you have a lot of land you don't even need a, any kind of container or bin <laughs> to put it in mm-hmm. you just have a pile somewhere that you throw compost in but it's not hard you start a compost pile that all of your food scraps have a place to go no matter what, if you can't get chickens, but you can start a compost pile, your food scraps have a place to go. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck in a, in a position where you can't make a compost pile, then look at other means of taking care of it. If you can have a small bin in your house, get a container of worms from Walmart for fishing. Seriously. And then you have the ability to use those. It's not exactly compost, but it's the ability to make sure that something else is being fed that you can still utilize at a later point. Worms are great for fishing, and that's the biggest thing is that all of this comes full circle the more and more you get into it, and that's why it's as great as it is because it's not like you're going to spend all this money on, you know, a composting bin, and you're going to start composting, and don't don't buy any of those, like, tabletop composters or get one of those trash cans that's, like, half- Trash have compost because you're not going to be you're not going to be convinced to take it out and actually do what you need to do with it, and it's not worth it. It it literally isn't. The easiest way to have a compost pile is either to get some kind of barrel and some kind of spinning method so that you can you know easily aerate it, or have a pile and grab a pitchfork. It's literally that simple. And there's a difference between regular composting and hot composting. I'm not doing hot composting just because we don't have the land for me to provide constantly for a hot compost pile Mm -hmm. but the compost pile that I have it literally started off as barely anything but now I have earthworms in there that are big and so big that they look like snakes I'm telling Mm -hmm. you these earthworms are massive and they are aiding in the breaking down of all of that that soil that's over there now it's so rich in nutrients that literally I'm going to keep this one going until it's full like a big compost pile, then I'm going to start a second one, and then I can start putting that compost all over the place, in the yard, in the garden. I can utilize it to help regrow things for the chickens area. I can use it for so much, yeah. just because I'm taking the food scraps that we have and putting it out in the backyard. Like it's just it's that simple, and I don't even turn it every single day. Like people get overwhelmed because be, oh yeah, you got to turn your compost pile every single day. No, they no. Don't.
0: No, the you worms don't. will
1: find their way, I promise you. They obviously have because I will not go out there for a week because I completely forget about it, and then I'll go back out and turn it, and I'll go, oh, man, absolutely everything that was in here last week that I dumped in here is gone because mm-hmm. it's broken down. <laughs> So easy, obvious, you know, little tips. If you want to stay away from it being stinky and uh, and you know attracting flies, don't put meat in it ever. Don't put any bones in it. Mm -hmm. Don't put any like onions or garlic skins or you know bad onions or anything like that because that's what makes it smell. Yep. That's but that's literally. If if you got a
0: big chunk of land, do it. Yeah. Just do it anyways. You know why? Because no, no, because you can have a separate pile for all your meat and stuff, and as it rots and everything let your chickens have at it your chickens will eat every maggot mealworm that's in that thing yeah. and go absolutely nuts you know it's like or if you're willing to do the sifting for it you can also look and it's real easy to look up how to get black soldier fly larva you know for your chickens and and that way you're you're knocking down the amount of you know stuff that you have to have to utilize it's yeah. like it's just because if that the world shuts
1: down all of the animals that you now have to feed yep without still want food feed. yeah yeah so that's another thing to think about, which is a step that we haven't gotten to with our chickens, which is like, you know, at close one, Yeah, we're, we're we're we've talked about it. We're getting to that point. But if the world shut down tomorrow, we would not be prepared to keep right. our chickens alive. So it's like it's hard. It's a lot to think about. But again, we're getting to that point where we're almost completely full circle with all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. So so that's the start of it. Um, zero waste kitchen is a very easy thing to start without spending any money. If yeah. you you don't even need a pitchfork, if you can go out there with any shovel that you probably already have on hand, unless you live in an apartment complex. But you know that's where I can't really help you because I don't know how to save you if you live in an apartment complex. <laughs> but if, if you, you have- if you got a
0: covered porch or a, a private porch in your in your. In your your apartment, meaning like you have something where you can put five gallon buckets, you can make it happen. If you got a spare bedroom, you can make it happen. If you got, you know, if you got two bathrooms, you only need to really actually use one. You can make it happen. It depends on how determined you are. Yeah. So, you know, just just keep in mind that if you the odds are this is what you have to understand. If you are in an apartment complex right now, you are in one of the worst situations for self survival, you know, anywhere because you don't have land you're going to be stuck with a bunch of other people you know up, up depending on how many people live in your apartment complex hundreds of people who are packed in desperate and the odds of people doing stupid and desperate things just go up so just just keep that in mind that that's where camping looks really good <laughs> anyways
1: so so yeah zero waste kitchen is a great place to start without spending any money Now, going towards spending a very small amount of money, but you're going to be saving a lot of money in the process, is making food from scratch. You cannot Mm -hmm. go wrong with learning how to make food from scratch. There is not a single negative to learning to make food from scratch the right way. If you go about it and you're learning it and you're just kind of half-assing everything, yeah, the downside is you're probably going to kill yourself with some kind of level of sickness from cross-contamination from not caring. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You have to
1: do it the right way. But going through that, literally, slowly pick one thing, like every week, that you're going to no longer buy. Yep. Or even over a two-week span of time. That you're just, you're no, no matter what, you're not going to buy this thing that you really enjoy and you always have to have in your house like, for some people, like for Nikki, bagels. Bagels, mm-hmm. she was eating bagels every day. Every, 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 every day for breakfast. That was it. Her breakfast, she would get up, she would have coffee, and she would have a bagel with cream cheese. Yep. It is not hard to make bagels. It is not hard to make cream cheese. To have bagels and cream cheese exactly like they are from the store? No, and you're probably not going to get that because it is commercially baked and boiled and all of that that it does and it's literally you're trying to compete with a machine you're not going to get that level of quality and also you're not going to be putting preservatives in your things Mm -hmm. so learning to make bagels and learning to make sour cream is going to automatically save money because flour is a lot cheaper than buying all the bagels Mm -hmm. all the time and all the other ingredients in there you buy once for several products if not hundreds of products, baking powder and baking soda do not go quickly when you're using them for baking. You spend a one time purchase of 25 bucks for that giant thing of baking soda. And you've got baking soda set. If you're only using it for baking easily a year, if you're baking every single day, it still would not be gone in a year. So those are the things you have to take into account. Yes. You're spending more money up front, but then you never have to buy that again for a long period of time. So if you're making bagels from scratch, yeah, you buy a 25 pound bag of flour and you've got hundreds of bagels that you can make versus spending almost the same amount on two six-packs of bagels, and you're just stuck with two six-packs of bagels. Same thing with the cream cheese. Buying milk or heavy creams or things like that are going to be a lot cheaper than how much you spend on cream cheese mm-hmm. on a weekly basis because you'll make enough cream cheese to last you for two, three weeks. So it's it's literally a, a matter of... It goes like that with everything, something you use every single day. One of the other things, like I said, Nikki likes coffee, and we've all been indulging in more and more coffee lately. Mm -hmm. Creamer gets expensive quickly, and then on top of that, it's not even creamer. (laughs) That's why 90% of the store-bought creamers are non-dairy products, because they're not creamer. They have no cream in them. So... They're so bad for you. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to anybody that loves getting you know any of those coffee mate creamers and things like that. They're not creamer. They're so bad for you. Mm -hmm. If you like the taste, if you like your coffee to not taste like coffee, and that's the biggest reason you get creamers, then just buy half and half, and learn how to make your own creamer. Half and half with Nikki's been making it with half and half, a can of sweetened condensed milk, and then any kind of uh, syrups to flavor it which you can get sugar-free syrups too, so make it even less of a calorie intake because anytime you're going to intake any level of milk of any kind, it's not great for you. It's not good mm-hmm. for you really at all. But if you need to have it, you need to have your coffee, which is a good doomsday prep thing to have because you're not going to realize just how tiring something like that can get really quickly. So coffee is great to have on hand. We have so much coffee in this house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, you just... It, Take Literally, take those things like that. If every single morning you wake up and you have a slice of toast with some eggs and bacon, then look at what of that you can make. If you can have chickens, then that means get chickens. If you can Mm -hmm. bake from scratch, then that means start baking your own bread so that you can have toast that you made. It's going to save you so much money.
0: Personally, I've replaced the bacon side of things with having spinach. Mm -hmm. You saute spinach up with me with my eggs and it's like absolutely amazing it's delicious and it gives me energy through the whole day yeah you know
1: so look at little things like that another thing uh, that's also very little to uh a very little to spend money on is start looking at where what containers that you have for uh saving water in case if mm-hmm. something goes wrong like we have the, our biggest thing is that we have generators because yep. if we and we had it, we got them originally because when all of the craziness, like this is the perfect example. We live in Texas, then you know that Texas was not prepared to have power shut off right. for days when those when those snowstorms came in the last two years, and then we still had an ice storm instead of a snowstorm this past year, which actually yep. made it worse in a lot of cases because there was no snow to insulate anything, so. It wasn't like it was like, oh, hey, you know, really cold and then we're dipping out. We're good. And as soon as it was over, it was over. It wasn't because as soon as everything started thawing out, trees started falling Mm -hmm. and people lost a lot of stuff. We got very lucky because we have, like you said, we're like 30 something trees in our yards and nothing hit the house and nothing killed our chickens and nothing destroyed the garden. We were amazed. We had big things fall.
0: None of our trees are less than 50 years old either. Yeah.
1: So it's not like we just had, like, you know, branches, twigs. We had an entire, big, very main Mm -hmm. branch on one of our tallest trees fall in our backyard. Yep. And we were okay. Yep. Which was just uh, absolutely insane. But there were a lot of people that were not that lucky. And so, and we're still dealing with, because we had a dry winter, we're now having a very wet, hot. like, now that we're out of spring very wet, very hot summer.
0: Yeah, if you can hear it in the background, we have a couple of our windows open. Yeah. It's raining like crazy right now. So, so yeah.
1: So look into things like that. If you live in a place where it does rain a lot, look at collecting water. Even mm-hmm. if it is to just feed or even if it's just to water your livestock, if it's just to water your animals, because those are going to be a lot better and if you have some level of water filtration that you have set in place, which could be as simple as having a Brita filter mm-hmm. somewhere. One of those little little pitchers with Brita filters and then a couple of extra ones. And so then boil you can, your water. Yeah. I mean,
0: worst case scenario, seriously. it's and, it, and also remember this. The water that you catch from rain, it may have stuff in it that's directly because depending on where it's coming from, birds and things like that, cross-contamination, yeah. if you're getting it off a roof and things like that. But guess what? All your plants, there is nothing in that water that will ever hurt any of your plants in your garden, yep, so you know prioritize your water and just use that water and your water for your live animals, and just use that water to, to water all your plants and life is good because you know it 's May right now, but July's around the corner, yeah. and July here we don't see rain nope. right if we gather water right now and we just have because we have uh three or four barrels. I think right now, if we just had those barrels turned up, which they're going to be by the end of this week, um, you know, and those barrels are just gathering water. I don't need to put anything in them. I don't need to worry about anything in it. Know that, hey, you know what? Come June, July, that that water is just going into the garden and we're going to save money there right now. So right now with the rain and I'm looking at it, that's just free money falling from the sky that we're not capturing. So, you know, we got those those, kiddie pools and I'm like. We can empty out the kitty. We have three or four kitty pools in the backyard right now. We can good. empty those out. So, yeah, we have There's a lot of options and things that I'm like motivated to do now because I've been eating healthy for the last few days. And so my energy level and everything is like ha. Ah. And then last night finally had, you know, a deep, dark, happy steak for dinner. And so I went to sleep. I slept mostly through the whole night. Woke up this morning. You know, just everything was in good shape. So huh, feeling it. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well, I just wanted to recap because this rain is getting a little ridiculous and we're nearing the end of our episode anyways. Um, Moral of the story. Big points. Don't fall for all of the industry level stuff that they tell you when it comes to doomsday prepping. If you want to do it, then do it. If you have Mm -hmm. the money to do it, be smart about it. If you don't have the money to do it, look at the easy, cheap options, little changes that you can make daily that will start to give you more money to utilize yep. for things like this. Zero-waste kitchens, making food from scraps, and finding water sources. Those are you, Food and water are the biggest things that you need to make sure that you have prepared for yourself. So mm-hmm. be able to learn and be able to get to that point where you know confidently that those are things that you can provide for yourself and your family if something were to go wrong.
0: Yeah. And there's plenty of other things that you can do, and we'll definitely talk about those later, too. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's like we're talking about worms, and, and the great thing about worms to understand is every 90 days, um, worms double in their number. And so if you think about that, you can get to a point where, like right now, I can take the worms that we have, and we have three cases of worms. I can turn it tomorrow into six cases of worms. And to know that three months after that, I will have enough worms in production that I can actually freeze-dry worms for my chickens. I can have uh, freeze-dried worms for my birds, freeze-dried worms for my animals. I literally have live worms for fishing, or I could go and go ahead and get myself an IBC tote, put it downstairs in my basement, and start my own tilapia, you know, fish tank or uh crappie fish tank, whatever I want to do, not tilapia, tilapia or vegetarians, Joey, duh. So I could raise corn for them, but whatever, but taking it to that next step. But we'll talk more about that in later, uh, later episodes for sure. So till then.
1: Don't forget to hit that follow button on whatever you're listening from. Like our podcast page on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all of that in our link in the description. And be sure to give our website a visit.
0: That would be www.stupidpodcastoneverything.com. And we will see you tomorrow morning on the Morning Grind. Until then, peace out with you. Peace out. Bye.